You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything, including... What is going on with David Platt and McLean Bible Church? Churchleaders.com, July 22nd, 2021, in a piece by Jesse T. Jackson from Beaver Creek, Ohio. I know exactly where that's at. I've been there many a time. There's a shopping mall and a movie theater that we used to hit up all the time before we moved back to Montana. June 30, 2021, McLean Bible Church in Vienna, Virginia, held a members' meeting to affirm three new elders via vote. NBC is pastored by former Southern Baptists International Mission Board, IMB, president and best-selling author David Platt. At that time, the time of the members' meeting, that is, the vote was too close to confirm the new elders because the church's constitution states it must have at least a 75% affirmative majority to elect a new elder to the leadership team. In his 4th of July sermon, Platt revealed to the 11,000-plus congregation that a disinformation campaign by a small group had been undertaken to persuade others to vote down the new elders and take control of the church. Platt started his sermon directly addressing what he called a dynamic within the church family. Platt told the McLean congregation, quote, I don't think I have ever had to address a church like this or wanted to address a church like this in all my years as a pastor. Platt continued, I want you to listen closely to the words I'm about to say. He asserted that a small group of people within NBC and some outside the church had coordinated a divisive effort to use disinformation in order to persuade others to vote these men down as part of a broader effort to take control of this church. I'm going to put a link to this piece in the podcast description. You can Check it out and read it more fully for yourself. We'll skip on over to Christianity Today. Their coverage is a bit different. Also, July twenty second, 2021, there's a piece by David Roach at CT. The title of that piece is Platt's McLean Bible Church Hit with Attempted Takeover Lawsuit from Opposition. The suburban D.C. megachurch's recent scuffle over race and politics is symptomatic of a broader evangelical rift. If you would, you can check that piece out as well. It's not very long. I'll include a link to that as well in the podcast description. But if I scroll down, I find it interesting, this paragraph, which I will read to you toward the end. To some observers, McLean's conflict seems like a replay of other recent episodes from American evangelicalism, where leaders who appeal to scripture to address social issues are accused of theological liberalism or secular influence, even if they continue to hold traditional Christian views. The level of suspicion around such leaders appears to have grown during the Trump administration and during the reckoning over racism following George Floyd's death last year. The next paragraph reads, College Park Church in Indianapolis was accused in a blog post this spring of caving to ever-increasing social justice infiltration. Dallas pastor Matt Chandler and former SBC president J.D. Greer both have been accused of being woke 
and the SBC's emerging conservative, Bast conservative Baptist network, rather, CBN, has charged some convention leaders with advocating critical race theory and downplaying the Bible's sufficiency. CBN-backed candidate Mike Stone received 48% of the vote in last month's SBC presidential election, finishing second to Alabama pastor Ed Litton. Okay, so what's going on here is you have a fault line. And I talked about that in, what was it, four of the past six. I uh, skipped on episode 173 and 172. I talked about totalitarianism, erring on the side of caution. But my last episode, yet another response from Quanah Thompson, was on this issue of social justice infiltrating the church and critical race theory, which is essentially what Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson, the authors of Reparations, this recent book, uh, are writing from. They're writing from critical race theory. They're writing an infusion of critical race theory into God's Word. Three of my episodes from last week were on this issue as well. I had episode 169 and 170 were an interesting back and forth about reparations and reviewing the DeYoung TGC review of reparations. That was a review of a review. Episode 171 was unpacking the response to the DeYoung TGC review. And the long and short of it is that you have two very different uh, perspectives on critical race theory in evangelical Christianity today. The one perspective is that critical race theory is a analytical tool, that it is valid for us to bring this analytical tool into teaching the scriptures, making disciples, organizing our congregations, our churches, organizing our own Christian lives, our own internal world, our interactions with one another, our homes, our schools, our businesses. This is the way that society is going, and if the church wants to remain relevant, we have to get on board. If we don't get on board, we're going to get left behind, and the society around us is not going to listen. They're not going to listen to what we have to say. They're going to call us racists. They're going to decry us as being bigoted and uh, on the wrong side of history. So the other perspective in evangelical Christianity today is that critical race theory is uh, Marxism. It is plain and simple cultural Marxism vis-a-vis uh, -vis Antonio Gramsci and the Frankfurt School. This is liberal theology. This is liberation theology. This is progressive politics being infused into our understanding of the scripture and fundamentally transforming like Barack Obama in America, fundamentally transforming the church. And the woke Christians admit that, yes, this is fundamentally going to transform our expression of Christianity, and they think that's a good thing. But the conservative vanguard, increasingly vocal, says that is not a good thing. It wasn't a good thing when Barack Obama fundamentally transformed America. It is not a good thing for woke ideology to fundamentally transform our Christian life and thought in this country. This is a perversion, not a purification. But those are the two camps. On the one side, you have 
Christian leaders, Christian lay people, saying that this is a purification of our doctrine and our life. And you have on the other side the very real complaint, very honest, uh, very impassioned concern that this is a perversion. As I've said many times in the months since I myself read it, I would recommend you pick up a copy of Vody Bauckham's book, Fault Lines. Check it out. Give it a read. As an African-American pastor who has been front and center for these issues, part of these conversations, he was one of the key drivers of the Dallas Statement on Social Justice, which John MacArthur gets a lot of credit for having signed on to, although it was by no means a product of John MacArthur alone. Vody Bauckham does a great job of unpacking what is going on here behind the scenes in the lead up to where we're at right now. But David Platt is someone Bauckham devotes a whole chapter to addressing because David Platt is indicative of the transformation a lot of Christian leaders, Christian pastors in America have undergone in recent years. And Bauckham tells a story about David Platt getting up at a preaching and teaching conference. And he says that Platt is not just a pastor, not just a preacher. He's actually a preacher of preachers. He's actually someone who teaches other men how to preach. And I don't know if that's a university position. He's had an official role, I guess, in um, teaching preaching. Here's how you preach. But Platt got up at a preaching and teaching conference uh, relatively recently, in recent years, and repented of his whiteness. He said, in effect, I am part of the problem because I'm white. I'm a white pastor. I've benefited from my white privilege. I am part of the problem, and I'm so sorry. And in that moment, when he said those things, he was repeating either knowingly or unknowingly, but one can hardly imagine unknowingly, he was repeating the whole critical race theory narrative. He had internalized it, and now he was showing an example to all of the Christian leaders present of how to do this. How do we internalize this? What does this mean to us? How do we live this out? How do we allow this to affect our testimony? Well, let me show you, says David Platt, pastor of McLean Bible Church. So Bauckham knows Platt, has been encouraged by Platt many times, loves him dearly, nevertheless says, you're wrong. You're out of order. That was a very unhelpful thing for you to say. That was not your best moment. Uh, It is to your shame that you are embracing this and you're going to confuse and mislead a lot of people who look up to you. Bauckham says all of this, I think, in a very loving, gracious way, but no less clear for being loving and gracious that Platt is going down the wrong road and he's leading a lot of others with him. He's giving legitimacy to a very dangerous ideology and a a very different theology, uh, which is not orthodox, which is not doctrinally sound. Uh, The new orthodoxy is all about progressive politics. And so you fast forward to this controversy with Platt's church, uh, 
where you have not one, not two, three elders being put forward as a package deal. And this is all introduced, and you can check out, I'll put a link to this as well, a video by A.D. Robles on YouTube. Uh, the title of the video is Chaos at McLean Bible Church Business Meeting slash Worship Service, uh, July 22nd, I'm sorry, July 21st, 2021. So he's got a video and he does a play-by-play unpacking you know, what it is that we're actually seeing from this McLean Bible Church service. But the long and short of it is that you have one of the leaders at McLean get up and make an announcement saying, we're going to go ahead and hold a vote for all three of these men together as a package deal during the worship service. And so then someone, a middle-aged man uh, in the congregation stands up and at first he's just speaking and you can't see him because the camera's not on him. He's speaking and saying, hey, point of order, Larry, Larry. Uh, apparently the guy behind the podium is named Larry. But Larry, hey, point of order. And he's not being recognized. And so it's going to be just ramrodded through regardless any objections with no place for conversation about this, no opportunity to address concerns that people might have in the congregation with any or all of these three elders. If there were concerns, they're mentioned, and you can catch them uh, as an aside, but they're not really gone into because essentially this guy at McLean Bible Church who gets up to try and raise a point of order, who points out that, hey, wait a second, now we've transitioned from the normal uh, service, order of service, into a congregational meeting. And so as such, I would like to request that the previous meeting's minutes be read aloud so we know where we were at the last time. And you have security for the church go up and confront this guy and ask him repeatedly over and over and over and over again to please step outside, to please leave, you're interrupting. And and this gentleman, I mean, at least looking at him, it looks like he's pretty worked up. Can't necessarily say that I blame him. I would be worked up too because this is high stakes. If you're right, uh, you might never have this church back again. If this is the church you've been to, uh, been attending for years and years and years, you might never have this church back again to call your home uh, if they won't listen to you and if they kick you out. Uh, you know, what's the difference between kicking you out when you try to raise a point of order during a congregational meeting and kicking you out once and for all? Are you ever going to be able to come back and shake hands if this is the way they're going to do business? If they do listen to you and you're wrong, well, then that's also terrifying. If you take God's word seriously, if you take the character of Christ and our Christian testimony seriously. It's terrifying to think, hey, I'm going to step up when nobody else is saying anything. I'm going to step up, step to the fore and correct the way that this is being uh, taken, being handled. This This is not the way that regular business in the church should be handled. That's very obvious. But is it the gentleman who stands up and objects who is out of order, or is it 
the leadership of McLean Bible Church out of order and trying to cleverly ramrod this through in a political devious sort of a way at a time and place and in a manner which excludes all discussion of the candidates. It seems as though the latter is the case from watching the video. If there is opportunity for discussion at some other time, and they do handle this, and there's a back and forth, I, I missed it. Uh, and it's not in any of the links. It's not in the piece by Christianity Today. It's not in the piece at churchleaders.com. A.D. Robles has no awareness of it. So all it looks like is that the leadership of McLean Bible Church wanted these three guys to be elders. They didn't want discussion of it. And they're going to have the vote in such a way that they get the outcome that they want. Uh, This seems a little bit or a lot a bit too much like the way that politics outside the church is handled. Outside the church, you have things which are put to a vote, which uh, lead all of one party's representatives to flee the state, as in the case of Texas. Hey, we're just going to leave Texas so you can't take a vote on uh, you know, election integrity bills or immigration reform bills or anything whatsoever because we don't have the majority. We're Democrats. The Republicans have the majority. They're able to get this passed without us, but they can't get this passed if we leave the state. That's the way business is handled outside the church. Also, in the state of Colorado, I have heard that when our current Democrat governor took office, there were a number of things which had failed as ballot measures in the recent election, which he used very dirty tactics to get passed using Democrats in the state legislatures, uh, you know, basically putting things to a vote at times when it was known the Republican members of the state legislature would not be able to make it, whether because of snowstorm or just last minute, what have you, just funny business. Now, if that's true, that's really shady, and that would seem to be an end run around the whole process of accountability. Whether you like Republicans or you like Democrats, the idea of the legislature is that things are debated and we have that back and forth. Proverbs eighteen seventeen comes to mind. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And very often with people who are not correct and they know that they're not correct and they know that they don't have the sound argument and they don't have sufficient support, if they have a system that they're operating within which requires that support and which has been devised to require that debate and that cross-examination of competing ideas, competing accounts, uh, competing courses of actions. When they know they're operating within a system like that and they don't want accountability and they don't want the other to come and examine their case publicly, they fix the system to where they don't have to be cross-examined. 
And so we should be very, very cautious, very, very careful when you have church leadership in general. I'm speaking broadly. I'm not speaking about David Platt in particular, although I have a grave misgiving and deep and abiding mistrust of him based on his having embraced critical race theory and uh, white guilt from the pulpit as a Christian leader. He should know better. And we who teach will be held to a higher standard, according to the Apostle Paul. He says, not many of you should be teachers, brethren, for you know that we who teach will be held to a higher standard. It certainly seems as though you have here a case that I think, broadly speaking, is concerning, wherein leadership gets to a position of prominence, fame, uh, praise, acclamation to that state of being, being well-respected, being listened to. They start feeling their oats, and they feel like they're untouchable. They feel like they can start pushing things through which are not faithful, which are not true, which are not good, which are not sound. And they know better, plain and simple. They know better than anybody what needs to happen now. Well, if they know better, truly, really truly, then is it so much to ask that they allow for cross-examination? I mean, really, I guess the question of watching this video that A.D. Robles posted up, this chaos at McLean Bible Church Business Meeting Worship Service video that A.B. Robles posted up. The question is, why put it to a vote if you're not going to allow for discussion? What's the point of the vote if it's not an informed vote? You want the congregation to rubber stamp what it is that the leadership wants. And that does not engender trust. That is not a way of being above reproach. What you should do instead, if you're just going to ramrod it through, is say, hey, we as the church leadership are unanimously, unilaterally appointing these three men to be elders in the church. We don't care what anybody has to say about them. These are the objections we anticipate. They're false. These are the objections we've heard. They're not correct. Here's why. You know, if there's a concern about the character or integrity of the persons bringing those charges, then say as much and go into that. If you have to go into that publicly, and this has all been happening behind the scenes and these people won't listen, Matthew 18 is there for a reason. Jesus did not give us no preparation. He anticipated that this is in human nature, that this sort of thing plays out over and over and over again. As Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there is no new thing under the sun. This is human nature playing out, and it has since the fall over and over and over again. We just don't remember. We don't learn the lesson very well. If the leadership of a church wants to ramrod a course of action through, and they say, hey, we are the ones who should be making this decision, and yet their constitution says something else, something other, then change the constitution. I mean, change the constitution, change your church's bylaws, change it to something else. But if you joined that church and then became a leader, or if you just came in and became a leader without having been under authority in that church previously, you were called to be a leader in that church, 
if you had a problem with the bylaws, you should have said that out front and said, hey, here is what needs to happen next. We should change this. But if your bylaws say such and such, and then you're operating outside of those bylaws to try and be clever because you don't want to have to deal with the peasants, the unwashed masses talking back, uh, then you know that's a problem on your part. That is a problem with your lack of patience, with your lack of accountability. That's not being above reproach. What above reproach means is that you handle your business in such a way that when men speak evil of you, whether they're outside the church and they're non-believers openly and they hate you because you're a Christian and they're not afraid to say it, or whether they're wolves in sheep's clothing within the church, people who are false teachers within the church who are maligning you, above reproach doesn't mean that you get to tune out and exclude and remove and eject from fellowship anybody who contradicts you. That's not what above reproach means. What above reproach means when the Apostle Paul lays out qualifications for overseers and deacons to his disciples, Timothy and Titus, two separate epistles. He says the exact same both times, that if someone wants to be an overseer or deacon in Christ's church, they must be first above reproach. The husband of one wife, able to manage their homes well, able to teach, not given to much wine, not contentious, not a brawler, hospitable. In other words, they have to have a certain character. And if that character is not evident in their lives and they don't meet the criteria, then it's not the unchristian response to say, no, you're not qualified. These specific features in your life, which we are examining now, disqualify you from a position of leadership, according to the Apostle Paul, who is writing Scripture. So therefore, according to God, all Scripture is God-breathed and suitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction unto righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. Peter affirms Paul's writings as scripture. I hate to belabor this point for most of you. Most of you or all of you agree that Paul's writings are scripture. And yet, when we come to the qualifications for overseers and deacons, and we see this business at McLean Bible Church, it is a very real concern in my mind that we push the Apostle Paul's qualifications for overseers and deacons off to the side for the present because they might get in the way of having a pleasant conversation and things just continuing on as they always have. See, the problem with this business here is that what emboldens bad leadership is bad followers. And that can take a lot of forms. That could take the form of bad followers being out of order, in criticizing, nitpicking, complaining about every little thing. Oh, it's too warm this morning. It's too cold last morning. I don't like the music. I don't like the color of paint that they chose for the nursery. I don't like that we're having this potluck on Wednesday night at that time because I'm busy. I don't like that nobody asked me to help in this ministry. I don't like what the pastor preached on last month, right? With frivolous complaints like that, 
all day, every day, it becomes too easy for leadership to say, even with legitimate complaints, you're out of order. Well, wait a second. Is someone out of order if they bring a concern that somebody is disqualified based on their character, based on their private conduct, based on their life? And if the concern is, hey, these three candidates for being elders at McLean Bible Church are being voted on as a block, and we'd like to see them broken out into a case-by-case basis because we like one of these guys and the other two are kind of slipping in unnoticed, but there's some real problems with their character, their manner of speech, their family dynamics, their lifestyle, their doctrine. If that's being put forward, what's the counter-argument? You don't hear the counter-argument in this because it's not discussed. There are press releases. Well, that's very political because Platt wants to address the elephant in the room. There's no getting the toothpaste back in the tube once somebody has taken video of your church service in which things descend to, I lost count, four, five, six uh, security team members coming and confronting this member, uh, a parent member, he claims to be a member, he seems to be a member of the church, escorting him from the building. There's no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. And so Platt's going to make a public statement. Christianity Today is going to pick it up. And not surprisingly, Christianity Today is going to ride the fence, but lean towards blaming this on Trump in a roundabout way. In one of their paragraphs, the paragraph that I read for you, this seems like it picked up under Trump. Well, yes, because the woke crowd was already positioned to try and take over American evangelical Christianity prior to Trump. And that's one of the reasons why Trump ran is because the woke business, the cancel culture, which has been a concern now through all the Obama years, his community organizing on a massive scale, his bureaucratizing the cancel culture business, putting it into our IRS and to our FBI, having it overtake our military, uh, you know, every everything he could put his community organizing spin on as a leftist, he did so. And since he left office, he took up some sweetheart deals with Netflix, he and Michelle Obama, and Susan Rice was sitting on the board for Netflix, and they started pumping that stuff into pop culture as well. And meanwhile, you have David Platts, who get a platform for being very passionate about the gospel, but they're also very passionate about this new brand of woke Christianity, which is not doctrinally sound, which undermines what God's word says about justice. It undermines what God's word says about a great many things, about the nature of truth, how we relate to government, how we relate to racial issues, how we relate to conflict, how repentance and restitution should be accounted for. I mean, if you get guilt and justice wrong, then so also the way to make things right is going to be off base. The whole business 
is very unfortunate, and yet there are a couple of ways we could go wrong here. One would be to say whatever the person in the pews brings as a concern and a complaint, I'm going to automatically side with that because I'm anti-authority. I don't like listening to somebody telling me what to do. Well, that would be a problem because I've been in a situation not quite this animated and contentious and, and ridiculous, but I've been present for situations that got out of order, church business meetings, general business meetings, that got out of order where you have a person in the congregation who's been to that church, who's been going to that church her entire life, who gets up and absolutely gives the leadership of the church a tongue lashing. And I was not part of the leadership of the church at that time. We were just in talks to become members, actually. But she gave the leadership, the pastor, the elders, the deacons, a tongue lashing. And she's not even a member because she doesn't believe that membership is biblical. She doesn't see membership in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so she's going to not become a member. But her father, her grandfather, whatever, built that church. They've been there forever. And so she should just be, no pun intended, grandfathered in, in her mind. In fact, she shouldn't just be grandfathered in as a member without being called a member because, again, membership isn't biblical, supposedly. She should be grandfathered into this role of safeguarding the direction of the church and being able to take the pastor and the elders behind the woodshed verbally in front of everybody anytime she pleases when things aren't being handled the way that she wants them to be. She was completely out of order. She was completely out of line. She would have done well to hear and take seriously and live by what the Apostle Paul says, where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over men. Rather, she is to keep silent, as in all the churches. And if she has a question, she can ask her husband when she gets home. She would have been doing much better if she was so concerned about order in the church, she could have started with her own conduct. But instead, she introduced a lot of chaos. She ran the pastor and his family off. She ran another elder and his family off in that whole exchange and what happened behind the scenes after that, before that, she ran about half the church off. And it was uh, just a thing. That was just a thing that happened over and over again. If we think that somebody in the pews is automatically justified and we automatically take their side, we're going to empower and embolden bad actors like her. And they are plentiful. Anti-authority, rebellious, stiff-necked, wicked. They should be called to repentance. But the flip side is, if you automatically take the side of the leadership, then what prevents us from getting somebody like a J.D. Hall? J.D. Hall in Sydney, Montana, I have written about a time or two very real problems in his church. I've been friends with former elders, deacons in his church for years and years. I was a route partner to one of his deacons. And that route partner of mine when I was at Conoco, great, great guy. Uh, his father-in-law was one of the elders. They both and their families got excommunicated from J.D. Hall's church because they dared 
as fellow leaders, as part of the leadership of that church, to take J.D. Hall aside and tell him, hey, we're concerned about the way you treat people, the way you interact with people, the way you handle the truth sometimes. You are overly harsh and unkind and even cruel and contentious, and you have to moderate your tone. You need to check your attitude because it's not godly and it's not a good testimony and it's not necessary. And J.D. Hall's reaction to that was to one by one, one after another, clean house, elder after elder, deacon after deacon. And the people who stay in that abusive, dysfunctional, toxic church situation empower Jordan Hall because he's known nationally and maybe even internationally because he shakes hands with celebrity pastors of mega churches because he's published books because he's got a controversial blog pulpit and pen he gets a pass on abusive unbiblical ungodly disqualifying behavior in which he engages over and over and over again because everybody's afraid to stand up to him. And anybody who overcomes that fear of standing up to him gets railroaded and run out of the building. And David Platt, to my knowledge, is not Jordan Hall. David Platt seems like a very nice guy. He seems like a guy that if he were my neighbor, I would go over and shake his hand and say, how are you doing? If he were somebody I went to church with, I would come up to him and ask him how his week was on a Sunday morning. He seems like a reasonable guy. And yet, that's the image you get from little snippets. That's the image you get from a highly edited and highly popular book. And at the end of the day, you have to look at a video like this one that A.D. Robles put up, and you have to recognize that church leaders just like leaders outside the church, are very often politicians. They very often do the political maneuvering thing, and they can present the baby-kissing, glad-handing, ribbon-cutting image to the public, and behind the scenes, it's a very different story. And any way you slice it, it's not healthy for those men, who are, by the way, still men, it's not healthy for them to be above reproach in the sense that nobody can ever come alongside them and say, hey, brother, I'm concerned about some things that I'm seeing in your life. If it's not healthy for you or I to be in that circumstance where we have no accountability, nobody speaking into our lives and saying, hey, I'm seeing some things, I'm seeing some traits and some habits and some attitudes coming from you that are just really not good for you, they're not good for the people around you, Let's talk about that. I want to talk about that, see what's going on. Is there anything I can help with? I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to remind you of some things. I'd like to encourage you in a different direction. If it's not good for you and I to be without that, because after all, that's half the reason for the church. That's half the reason for not neglecting the assembling of yourselves together, as some do. Why would it be healthy for church leaders, pastors, overseers, even pastors of very large churches, very high-profile churches. All the more do you need that kind of accountability if you're a high-profile leader, 
if you're a high-profile author, if you're a high-profile speaker on these things, all the more do you need accountability. Now, this gets dicey because when a church gets too big too fast, does the leadership trust its congregants? Even when it's a small congregation, does the leadership trust its congregants? Can it? So what I'm not saying is, I'm not saying that David Platt or anybody or you or I should just automatically internalize every bit of criticism that we get because some of that criticism comes from a place of immaturity. Some of it comes from people who are themselves deceived and they don't have good doctrine themselves. They don't interpret these things wisely. They don't understand the things about which they're speaking so confidently. But when that is the case, how will you know and how will you effectively deal with it if your church is too big and important and famous and you are too big and important and famous to slow things down and listen? That speaks to a kind of arrogance, a kind of conceit, a kind of ungodliness if we're not willing to slow things down and let somebody who has valid concerns or invalid concerns bring those to the table to discuss. A far better course, if you're interested in unity, really, instead of unity of appearance in name only, a far better course is you let those issues be brought and let all present see that this person is able to bring these concerns and then you confront them if they're out of order. And I mean confront them as in confront any kind of false statements or misunderstandings or bad attitudes. If this really is just a rebellious, wicked attitude on the part of the people who have objections at McLean Bible Church, then confront that. But as it stands right now, you've got the folks within McLean Bible Church trying to take a lawsuit against Platt and the other leaders of McLean Bible Church, current leaders of McLean Bible Church, for how this is all being handled. They're bringing a lawsuit. And is that better? Is that better than just letting this guy talk? I mean, did you really accomplish the good thing if you had your security team stop him from speaking, escort him from the building? It doesn't give everybody a warm and fuzzy feeling about how above reproach, these things are, in fact, being handled. So, again, you nor I know the whole story of what's going on. I assure you that the leadership at McLean Bible Church doesn't even fully understand what all's going on here. The people who are opposed to the leadership at McLean Bible Church don't fully understand all of what's going on here. The only person who knows fully what's going on at McLean Bible Church is God himself. So all the more so you and I, from hundreds or even thousands of miles away, we don't fully understand what's going on here. And so we should have humility and be circumspect in the way we think about these things, talk about these things. But from what little we can see, we know it's not being handled in an orderly, effective way. Is not being responded to and dealt with in an effective way. And I'll leave you with this thought. 
This is exactly what you get when you bring in these extra biblical disorders like social justice, like critical race theory. This is exactly what you get. You cannot throw out God's authority on matters as fundamental as justice and human authority and then expect that you're not going to have disorder in the church running rampant. The wind has been sown, and now the whirlwind will be reaped. But enough on that for today. I got to run. I got to go to work. As always, thank you for listening. If you have some additional thoughts on this, if you have some additional details on this, some additional information, just an opinion, a perspective, a passage of scripture, I want to thank JP, by the way, while I'm at it, for having kept up this back and forth because JP, just a good godly example, a good influence on my life. Uh, he is exactly what I'm talking about as far as accountability. Micah Hirschberger too. Both of these two men have been very helpful to me and a comfort, actually. Uh, it should be comforting to anybody who is stepping up to the plate when it comes to the Christian life, whether it's being a husband, a father, an employee, a manager, uh, you know, a, a, a church member, somebody who volunteers in ministry, somebody who does a podcast, somebody who writes, I and mean, whatever the capacity, if we're trying to live a productive, fruitful Christian life, we should want somebody watching our six and saying, hey, watch out, right? This is a blind spot for you. I'm keeping an eye on it for you. Even if you don't always agree, right? Particularly if you don't always agree. If you always agreed on everything, then where would the accountability be? So thank you, JP. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, all of you who listen. And as always, till next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.